Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Enjoy listening and watching as addiction experts Mark Sheeran and I cover controversial as well as helpful topics on addiction, how to move past it, and other related subjects. As two of the co-founders of the Freedom Model, Mark and I will give you a completely new perspective on the topics that matter to you. We will take to task the Recovery Society's lies and misinformation and replace them with facts, research, and the methods to move on from addiction struggles without 12-step meetings, rehabs, and the shackles of endless recovery. Let's escape the treatment and recovery trap together and learn to be free. Welcome to the truth. If you feel you need time away from your life to learn how to solve your substance use problem for good without distractions, 12-step meetings, or other counterproductive processes, then the St. Jude Retreat with its Freedom Model program are for you. From the moment you arrive, you'll know that this place is special, effective, and different. We won't bring you to AA meetings. We won't take away your cell phone or tablet. And yes, you can have contact with your family and friends at any time. We don't treat our guests like children or criminals like rehabs do. You'll be surrounded by open fields with mountain views. The retreat is set up to help you to relax, reset, and learn how you can solve your addiction and move on with your life. You'll be learning the world-renowned Freedom Model program directly with co-developers Mark Sheeran and Michelle Dunbar in private one-on-one sessions. You'll also have your own room with no roommates. There's no need to be uncomfortable while getting through such a vulnerable time. In addition to having your private bedroom and meals prepared by our executive chef, there's high-speed internet access so you can keep in touch with work obligations if needed. When not in class, you can enjoy one of the many amenities available, including on-site swimming pool, dry sauna, and a pond for fishing. There's also walking trails, or you can take a trip to the gym. We welcome guests from all over the world who are seeking to escape the addiction and recovery trap once and for all. Call 888-424-2626 to reserve your room today. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. And I'm Mark Sheeran, and we are the co-founders and co-authors of the Freedom Model for Addictions. And this is episode 135. I can't even believe it. It's so crazy. <laughs> we've been doing this so long that we were sitting here trying to figure out what to talk about because we've talked about everything. Seems like, but <laughs> but um, th- this obviously from the from the title, you can see that this is uh, very different. So we are destigmatizing intoxication. Yes, you know one of the things that uh, the disease theory was supposed to do, the alcoholism and addiction disease theory was supposed to do, is destigmatize the problem, right? But the, there's there's not real. I think it created a stigma with the problem because the stigma already existed with intoxication, right. which maybe is not a terrible thing. I mean, in certain cultures where intoxication is not acceptable, you see less of it. Right. People behave within their limits of of most societies. But what we've done here in this country, which is very interesting, is by by making it an illness and something that somehow is without of people's control. I think we've increased the stigma that much more because we've gone from, you know, thinking that people had full control and just maybe liked being intoxicated to thinking, oh, they're damaged and broken. Yeah, and and j- just because you create a fictitious disease, let's say that it was legitimate, does it really change in the long run 
the way you view somebody. And, and so we use the example in the book of if you're a parent and your daughter is going to marry somebody, mm. if they had the disease of alcoholism or the disease of addiction, would that, would you feel better about them marrying that person than if they just had a problem? Right. Or if they had another disease such as cancer or uh, diabetes or something, I mean, you know, there's, there's stigmas with all kinds of things, but certainly if somebody has addiction, you're probably going to be less apt to want them to marry your daughter. Right. So, so it really, when we, when we get down to brass tacks, um, calling it a disease doesn't do a damn thing for stigma. Nope. And it never has. Nope. You know, um, and so there's this, what it really comes down to, it's not stigma. That's not why the disease concept was created. It was created for insurance dollars. Right. So, so having this, this propaganda being spilled out that it's in the, in the idea of compassion, uh, you know, and destigmatizing the problem is bullshit. Yeah. I mean, it just is. And, but people parrot this all the time and they say, yeah, it's, it's, you know, uh, we will have more compassion if it's a disease. That's just not true. It doesn't bear out that way. And here's why, because people automatically really truly know this isn't a disease, right? They know, they know the difference. People aren't stupid. They know that when somebody sticks a needle in their arm, it's not because of it's, it's compelled. It's out of their control. It's because they want to get high. So now, when we go there, though, this comes into our topic, destigmatizing use, right? Heavy use even, um, or intoxication. Why, why would we want to do that? Mm-hmm. And the answer is because we have to figure out and get rid of shame in order right. to, to be able to problem solve a heavy substance use problem. We have to destigmatize it. We have to get rid of the shame to say, clear the air. Why do I like it? Yes. You can't do that if you're sitting there shaming the person. Or yourself. Or yourself, right? Coercing them into treatment that doesn't work because it's not a disease. Um, And so I honestly probably spend one quarter of a person's four-week stay here at the retreat, at St. Jude Retreat, uh, getting them to admit, yeah, I do this voluntarily because at some level I enjoy it and, or I value it. So wouldn't you say it takes you that long? Yeah, it does. I mean, sometimes it takes the whole time. Yeah. Like that they're here to to get them to that point where they're willing to say, yeah, there's, there are things I really like about it. The reason we brought up this topic is because there was a a post in one of our groups um, and it was, the person basically was drunk and high at that moment. And they said it was wonderful that they really liked it. And, you know, and there's always the, like the initial reaction. And I did see it with some people is, Ooh, that feels a little wrong. Like it, it, like you want to be like, Oh, I'm, I'm like, are you really having fun? Is it, is it something you really want to do? And, and so the, with the freedom model, we're not saying that people should get drunk and high as often as they want. And do, they, people should do what they want to do and not feel bad about it. But there are costs associated with it. And, and you know, if the costs associated with that good feeling are, well, my marriage is in jeopardy and now I have to answer to somebody for it. 
well, then that's where you're, we're automatically feeling that little bit like, Ooh, is this what this person really wants to be doing? And, and so, so there's where all the stigma comes in. Okay. With is with high costs for the behavior. Yeah. The pain, the pain that comes along with heavy use. Yes. Yes. So, but what's a good thing is that behavior alone, that person was like, yeah, I really like the way I'm feeling right now. Yeah. So, so you can't solve a problem by ignoring it. Right. So, and, and inaccurately portraying the problem. If you have a problem with a car and it doesn't run, you have to accurately diagnose the problem in order to make it, fix it and make it run. So when we ignore a person's preference, the reasons that they enjoy substance use, we can't, we can't, then challenge whether those preferences, the characteristics of that preference or the things that define that preference, we can't challenge them and see if there's a better way to be happy. So, so by ignoring a person's preference, you ignore the ability to help them solve it. Yes. And that's really important. So while this podcast is destigmatizing the preference that you've built, okay, the like that you've built for heavy substance use, um, and we're trying to open and clear the air with no judgment, um, there's a reason we're doing that. We're not doing that because uh, let's just all get shit faced and not care. Right, right. Okay, this this is really important. What we're doing is we're saying heavy substance use does come come with a price, but it also, we can't ignore that we're driven to it by a perception that it has value to us. Yes. And to ignore that value is, is to ignore being able to challenge that value. Yes. Come and make it come into question as to whether we're actually getting those benefits or not. You can't do any analysis that's valuable unless you see why the person thinks they like it so much yes. and you can't figure that part out without letting go of the shame first. So I have a student right now. Let, let me tell you a story that makes this clear. She's, we're doing it through freedom model, private instruction. She's at home and she's going through the lessons. And each, each time we meet, I give her uh, three to four chapters to go over in the book. Cause we only have 12, 12 sessions. And midway through, she said, I said, so, so why do you like it so much? I always go back to that, you know? And she goes, I can't even say it. I can't, I can't even say it. I get, I find it so hard for me to admit that I like it because it's so bad. Hmm. And I said, now think about that. I want you in the audience to think about that. How can I work with somebody? How can I even challenge her preference? How can I look for an alternative that might be better? How can I, how can I look at any of this with, with any type of an eye, a critical eye, if she's not even willing to say, I like it. I mean, there, there, there's no progress that right. can happen. Right. That's right. That's exactly right. I mean, you wouldn't, when you deal with other behaviors, other problems, oh, and you good. know, like if somebody likes to bite their nails and they are a nail biter and it's, and my husband picks and bites his nails and it's like irritating to me, like the sound of it, um, you don't, 
there's, I can tell you as somebody who kind of picks up my nails that I find a certain pleasure in it. Right. Of course there's satisfaction in it. Yeah, exactly. And I don't, I'm, and it's not shameful to admit that if you, if you're somebody that, that likes to drink a lot of diet Coke, you know, I don't see that as any different. There are definitely consequences to drinking. There are high costs of drinking a lot of diet Coke. Um, but, but nobody feels shameful about that or, or nobody's told that they're powerless over it right? because it's shameful and bad. Right. Right. That that they don't, they don't code it with this, with this lie. Yes. That there's something inherently wrong with liking substance use. Right. Um, So we, so one of the first things I work on with a student when they're here in this office is I say, this is a judgment-free zone. I don't, I don't care why you like it, but I need you to say it loud and proud in this room because or else I can't understand the bullshit you're telling yourself. Yes. I can't possibly debunk the lies that you've been sold about the value that you've placed in the substance because it's way overblown, by the way, and yeah. it's killing you. So you have this habit with an uh, completely unrealistic expectation of the substance that you've built, you've been taught by culture and by the treatment industry. And how possibly can I challenge that with you so that you can come to a new conclusion if you don't know why and you can't even say why you like it because of shame? Right. I mean, right. Look at uh, people have been, and we, we say this in the book, people have been wanting to alter their mental state since forever, forever. They have found things to smoke. They've, you know, kids spin around and they, I used to love that spinning around and then falling down on the ground, hyperventilate, hyperventilate yeah, make yeah. yourself pass out. Yeah. Um, like bad I can, for, I, for the brain. Yeah. I can specifically remember spinning, spinning, spinning. And then you fall down on the ground would tip. I loved it. Yeah. I would do it over and over and over again. So is it any wonder that I'm somebody that likes intoxication and, and I don't particularly love it now because I don't believe in the magic of it. But every once in a while, I say this all the time. Every once in a while, I like a mild buzz. I like to feel a little bit all floaty. Right. Let, let's go back. You just said something. You don't do it as much because you don't. You don't because be, it can't. Because I don't believe in the magic anymore. I don't believe in the magic. Okay, now, if you didn't admit that you believed in magic with it, if you didn't identify that there was magic to you, if you didn't, if you couldn't say loud and proud, yes, I believe that it takes my stress away. Um, because if you couldn't say all those things because you're too shame filled and you're, you're too disgusted with yourself with right, guilt right. and shame, you're too broken hearted of all the bad things that you've done to people while you're getting high. Cause we do things like that. Yeah. All right. But ultimately, what is behind the use? You didn't do bad things to other people while you're high if you weren't high. And you obviously had a preference for getting high that landed in that cauldron of hell stew. Yeah. So if we don't identify what is your drive, what is your positive drive towards intoxication first with no judgment, then you can't debunk it. You can't challenge it. You can't figure out an alternative to it. I keep repeating this. You can't figure out how much you really like it. That's right. Because because it's your starting point. Right. Because what you like about it could be magic, could be imaginary, could could be a total placebo. That's right. Of of beliefs making you, you know, and and 
the thing about it is it's pretty easy to debunk it once you get to that point of admitting it because 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 it becomes absurd. It's like taking a veil away. Yes. Because there's this there's this veil that you're just the, seeing the, everything through through your and like through your belief system through, glasses through, through badness. Yeah. You you have a shame veil that is cloaked in badness that this I shouldn't want this the shoulds and the should nots. Um I'm bad, I'm an evil person, I'm dirty. You need yeah, to get clean. You need to get clean. Boy, I hate that. I do too. I terminology. Never, that terminology is terrible. Um, so there's all this. And for some people, the badness of it is actually another allure to it. It's like, well, I'm a badass. I'm, you know, I, I used to think that, I mean, I, yeah, I'm deviant. I'm, I'm, as you know, somehow deeper and more, um, darker. I, <laughs> I feel more. I'm a, I'm an empath. Yeah. Yeah. Like I feel I'm a, torch, I'm a tortured empath. And look at, look at, I, I believed all of that stuff. That was, that was for me, part of what I loved about intoxication was all those things It all had this built in, like I was a really good Catholic girl growing up and, and I, I had this dark side to me and it, 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 it was like claimed independence yeah, from, from that other image. Exactly. All right. So what you just described is all this value that you've built into the drugging experience, your relationship with the drug and what was building your preference. But if you, if you have a, a stigma that it's wrong, that it's bad, that you shouldn't like it. Right. Or if treatment has impregnated your mind with the idea that, that, um, you never really did like it. You use it, you use it only for trauma. Right. Right. Stress, stress, anxiety and depression. Right. And, um, and so you're sitting there saying, no, I never really liked this experience. Well, that's just not the case because we don't get addicted or build a habit around, uh, something that we don't find value in yeah positive value yeah so so what we wanted to what we want you to do is we want you to destigmatize intoxication because for some people that'll take away the value right there that's right now i want to be clear so let's say you destigmatize your preference for use on the front end you say i like it for these reasons we are not destigmatizing the fact that you ran over a kid with your car drunk. Yeah. The, 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 okay. Right. So, so that now that doesn't, that's not a stigma. That's a, a terrible consequence that we have to look at accurately and say that was, that was just damn tragic. Yeah. Um, and the tragedies that we create with heavy substance use are real. Yeah. And to identify them accurately is important too. There doesn't need to be a stigma around it. It's reality. Yeah. You know, there's no, inappropriate stigma it's damn that's that stuff happens we people overdose and their tragedies happen so um so we need to separate this out what we're talking about is your motive to get high and drunk heavily and and the fact that you like intoxication that's what we're trying to destigmatize look at there's nothing wrong with liking intoxication there's nothing wrong with it okay it, it, just intoxication in and of itself is a, what what i call a victimless crime in our society Mm -hmm. it you're you're you know if you sit and you have a good time and you enjoy intoxication um there's nothing wrong with that and there's nothing wrong with 
with uh, getting drunk and acting like an ass either, as long as it's harmless. Here's my point. That's not, we need to destigmatize it only so that you can have a starting point to problem yes. solve it, yes. to problem solve whether or not the drug is actually giving you what you think it's giving you in, in the goal of changing your preference. Exactly. Exactly. So that you can, and once you, once you're doing that, becoming self-aware as you're doing it, is it, it's a, there's a real benefit to being able to challenge what you think you're getting because once you've read the freedom model, and especially if you go through chapter 17 through 20, um, and, and you start debunking the magic of it, it's hard to deny. It, it, it is, it is. And, but you can't debunk something you don't believe exists. So if you, if, if you don't know that you like it and you can't say it out loud, well, then you have the veil of shame. Yeah. You have something that has you blindfolded to the actual desire that exists within you based on your beliefs. And if that desire can't be identified, how can you change it? Right. Right. That's exactly right. So this is about the importance. So if you are, and we have a couple people that are still struggling in our group and they're talking about feeling, beating themselves up about still drinking more than they, they say they want to drink. They're drinking heavily and they, they've been really trying to work through trying to stop. Um, I would always go back to this. What am I still, what do I still really like about it? And there are certain things that sometimes people like about it that do feel embarrassing to admit. Um, in some cases with people, they like the attention they're getting because they're still drinking heavily. They like that negative attention. They like feeling like there are people that are upset with them. They like, there's some people that, that that's actually a driving force behind it is, is I had one guest that would get so drunk. She would like since she'd call people and then she'd pass out and they'd find her and she liked the feeling of being rescued. Oh yeah. You yeah. know, and, yeah. and tragic that usually, I hate to say it, that can end very, very tragically because at some point people get tired of rescuing you. Yeah, they do. Um, so, so whatever it is, whatever it is that you're liking about it, um, becoming self-aware and being honest about what it is you like about it is, is the path to freedom. Yeah, you have to have a baseline understanding to problem solve. Yeah. You can't change a preference if you don't know what the preference is accurately. Yes. If Again, I'm going to go to the car analogy. If you don't know what's broken on the car, you can't fix it. If you don't know what your preference is built on, you can't challenge it and come up with an alternative. So your preference is based on ideas. Ideas are in the mind. Ideas can destroy you, can actively destroy the people around you. Ideas, uh, Nazism is an idea and it killed, right. it killed nearly 8 million people, right? It's an idea. And then actions come after it. So my point is, if you have an idea about drinking and drugging where you say, I hate it, well, that's not true. No, that there's no place in which a solution is going to come from, oh, look at how bad it is. You know, 
when in rehab did that ever work? It doesn't work. So you have to come to the conclusion that I guess I do value this for some reason. Hmm. And then what you're going to confront at that moment, if you open your mind to it, is shame. Everybody goes to, yeah. ooh, I'm not sure I like this that much. This freedom model thing is honest. Yes. Oh, God. Yes. Oh, oh, God, I have to admit this. Well, I'm not telling you to feel more shame. I'm telling no. you the next step is letting it go. You can feel shame for, for a moment and, and, and embrace it and go, oh, I guess I do feel pretty shitty about this. And then you can go, but I don't have to. Nope. Let me, let me discard that in this room right now by myself in the confines of my mind. Let me let go of my shame and say, why do I like that? Yeah. Then when you make a list of why you like it, which is in chapter four, by the way, and they're all listed out there for you. So there's no guesswork. Once you do that and you let go of the shame, then you go, okay, all right. I have these eight reasons that I like to get fucked up. They're, they're right here in black and white. What do I do with that? Well, there's 22 other chapters of what you do with that. <laughs> but you can't. People want to skip this step. They, they do. They want to skip this. They want to go right to consequences, costs. Or they, or they just go to the, the beginning and think, oh, it's not a disease. I'm not powerless, so I'm just going to keep you know, so I'm free to do what I want to do because it's not a disease and I'm not powerless. But then there, if it, then there's the costs are mounting and they're like, why am I still doing this? I know it's not a disease and I know I'm not powerless. Right. But you skipped your preference. You skipped your preference. Your internal thought process as to why you value something. How can you change any preference you have without understanding what the damn preference is? That's right. How? Show me. It's impossible. It's why you're confused. So chapter four goes through all the reasons why you like it so much. Look at chapter four, read it in depth, and then make a list in, on a piece of paper. Uh, reason number eight, reason number 12. You know, I forget how many we have. I think there's 14 or 15 of them in there. And, and we've done this long enough to know what they are. Yeah. And, and then you know, and then you can challenge each one. What you're going to find is that the vast majority of them, except for the physical sensation, all the mental and emotional reasons that you believe booze and drugs enhance your life are fabricated. Yes. Yes. And then you kind of figure out that once all the magic is gone, it's kind of boring. Oh, it's like, yeah. oh, oh, I mean, I, you know, I don't still spin around and fall on the ground and let it get tippy. Like that yeah. is not something I, I like to do now. But, but and I point, did it for a very brief period of time when I was a kid. That's right. But you could, but you would find it boring and silly. Exactly. Well, that's how I feel about drinking. Yes. I, I do not drink a, a bottle of old granddad and then carry a pint around with me at work. Like I did when I was 18 years no. old. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And, and nip at it all day and keep that buzz going and then turn into a train wreck at night. I don't do that because it's not exciting because my preference was changed based on the ideas that that actually wasn't that fun. No. And that it doesn't solve my human issues, which is what I used it for. Yes, exactly. But when I found out that it doesn't actually enhance my life that way, I was able to change it. Now, here's the same student that, that I talked about earlier is now at a point she's through the, most of the course we're uh, getting up to life movements now and she goes i can't believe how did how did i believe all that mm. and i said i'll tell you how the booze companies have built magic into drinking in every depiction imaginable do you have you ever seen a budweiser ad 
with a guy pissing his pants and getting arrested. <laughs> now, I have pissed my pants drunk. <laughs> <laughs> and I have been arrested drunk. That has happened to me. And I drank Budweiser in both situations. Um, and it that was- That didn't make the ads? That did not make the, the advertising <laughs> campaign. It wasn't happy hour. No. It was sad hour. It was bad hour. All right. But, but the point is, is you've been taught this magic and this bullshit line by the booze companies for nearly a century. And though, if you've been to rehab or gone to meetings, it's further reinforced. Oh, it is so magical that you'll never <laughs> like anything more. And you have to be stuck in these meetings the rest of your life. You sorry, sot. Yeah. I mean, we used to, there's words for it when you're in recovery, there's like, like war stories and but they're you know it's romanticized it's you you spend half the meetings romanticizing it as being this panacea and then you spend the other half the meeting saying that it's evil and bad and, and it took you, over your life <laughs> and that you can't have this panacea right. so you're you're like a person in hell with a with a spoon of water but the you know the the spoon is too long, so it won't reach your mouth. You're always, that's recovery. That is yeah. recovery. You, know, you're, 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 you always feel deprived. Yeah. I never felt more deprived than when after I went to a meeting. Yeah, because in the meeting, they build the drug up and yeah. then they say you can't have it yeah. because you are different and you're pathetic. And, and, and that that's intoxication is somehow evil and bad. Yeah, but and, it's also magical, Michelle. But it's also magical. It's also magical and solves your stress and is, and is a type of medicinal agent for your mind and your brain and you'll never like anything more and by the way it's evil and by the way it's evil i, I mean it's so contradictory none of which is true it's nothing it's nothing it's 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 rotting vegetation is this water or is it vodka either way it doesn't matter it sits there it does nothing and your interpretation of what happens when you put it in your body is everything it is everything I'm not saying that vodka doesn't affect your body tissues. Empirically, we can say, and objectively, we can say, yes, it does. Mm -hmm. It makes you feel dizzy and funny in the body. But anything else is our interpretation. And you cannot start that analysis by feeling shameful. Right. Exactly. So that covers that. De first, destigmatize your preference for intoxication. And then you can begin uh, to figure out what you like about it. Then you can begin to problem solve an actual problem. Yep. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. And um, let me think. Next week, I mean, well, this is going to be released next week. So it'll be, uh, let me look at the date. If you are an FMI member, uh, Mark and I will be doing a live question and answer. Um in, it's in Zoom, but you have to log into your FMI membership and then choose the live question and answer because you have all the modules on your dashboard. Yep. Um, and let me look at the date next week. It's the 27th. So we're recording this now on the 19th, um, but it'll be uh, of July. Of July. So it'll be July 27th from at 3 p.m. Eastern time. And we will be here for two hours as long as we're getting questions. Uh, minimally, we'll be, we'll be on till 4.30 if there's... You know, we'll have if we have lively discussion, we'll keep going right through till five o'clock. Um, if things kind of slow down a little bit, then we'll probably beg off a little bit early. Um, but join us at any point between three and four thirty PM Eastern time. And we are in New York, so that's New York time for people around the world.
right? And this is 2022 because these go into an archive. So <laughs> yeah, in the so following years when these are old. Uh, <laughs> right, you're listening to this. So, so, but if you don't have an FMI membership, you can go to online.thefreedommodel.org. It's at the bottom of our screen. Uh, that is just one of many benefits that you get for that for $39.95 a month. Uh, U.S. dollars. Um, and once again, it's if you're watching on YouTube, it's at the bottom of your screen. If you're not, it's online.thefreedommodel.org. And um, and I know there's commercials at the beginning, at the end of this for our other products as well. All right, everybody. All right. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. Take care. Hey, everyone. Michelle here. I'm so excited to let you know about Freedom Model International Membership. Get support as you deprogram from the 12 steps and the shackles of addiction recovery. For a low monthly membership fee, you get the Freedom Model online program, which includes our books, our audiobooks, workbooks, and all the additional lessons. You also get the Freedom Model for the Family online program as well. You will get a live members-only two-hour question and answer webinar with Mark and myself the last Wednesday of every month. And each week, we're going to add a new video lesson. We call this the What We Learned This Week series. Lastly, we also have the Freedom Model International monthly newsletter, where we're going to tackle the current events and the latest research for you. All this for just $39.95 per month. You can stay a member for as long as you need, and you can suspend or cancel your subscription whenever you're ready. Go to online.thefreedommodel.org to sign up today. 